I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And we're the, we're the sirens. sirens. Today we're talking about the movie Gidget, which is a 1959 film starring Sandra D. Cliff Robertson, and James Darren. It was directed by Paul Wenkos and produced by Louis J. Rackmill, and it was written by Gabriel Upton. The character of Gidget was created by Hollywood writer Frederick Koner, and I'm I'm assuming Emily is going to tell us more about, about that. The character is based on his own teenage daughter named Kathy. The movie follows one summer in the life of a teenager named Francie, who comes of age on the beach, as we all do during the summertime, I guess. Um, and at the beginning of the film, Francie goes to the beach with her girlfriends, who are all a little bit more mature, hip, and with it than she is. They are, they are all interested in attracting the attention of the boys, while Francie just wants to enjoy being at the ocean side. She goes snorkeling and nearly drowns, though she's rescued by one of the surfer boys. She quickly discovers that she wants to be part of the surfer crowd, uh, which is populated by boys with surf names like Moondoggy, Stinky, and Loverboy. The crowd's leader is Kahuna, and he is a real beach bum. And the surfers (laughs) the surfers all adopt Francie as their mascot. Um, Over the course of the summer, she learns a little bit about surfing, life, love, and maybe also the virtue of listening to your father in the first place. So, huh. <laughs> um, sorry, I I just had to laugh at that last part. <laughs> Good. So yeah. So do you have any trivia about the movie Gidget, Emily? Uh, I do a little bit. So you mentioned that the title character was based on the author's daughter, who was Kathy Coner Zuckerman. It's all based on her adventures growing up in the surf culture on the beach at Malibu in the 1950s. And she was apparently five foot one, and that and Gidget was actually her nickname. Oh! Um, and I saw an article in like Coastal Living or something that like a couple years ago about her, and she still like lives by the beach and is like a hostess in a restaurant. And so I was like, Gidget lives on. <laughs> but I, that makes um, me feel better about the world. I think. Yeah, I liked that it was based on a real story. Um, I didn't know that before watching it this time. So the producer actually wanted Elvis Presley to play the leading male role, but the studio declined because he was too expensive. And also too old, maybe? Yeah, but did age factor into any of the casting in this movie that well? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Sandra Dee looked age-appropriate, but almost no one else did. Yeah. So James Darren was originally not selected to play Moondoggy because they knew that the role required singing and he wasn't known as a singer. Yet. And then, <laughs> yet. And then on his own, he cut a single like with the studio's recording subsidiary and that hit the charts. And then Columbia changed their minds and gave him the role even though he both didn't know how to surf and also, like, could barely swim. I mean, um, these are small things. Uh, and, and not like he was really swimming a lot in all of those green screen shots with, like, him scratching his nose as he's, like, supposed to be surfing. <laughs> it's very realistic. Uh, so he, because of this role, went on to become a huge teen idol 
and he played Moondoggy in the subsequent movies Gidget Goes Hawaiian and Gidget Goes to Rome. Although neither of those was opposite Sandra D. They had different Gidgets in both of those movies. All You know, all of the men were, like, shirtless for most of this movie. Uh-huh. And I've, I remember watching this as a teenager and being like, it seems like the men are being objectified in this and kind of being like, well, that's somewhat refreshing in a way at least it's something different but they were all like bare-chested and James Darren is Italian and like super hairy so they made him do a total body waxing for this movie what (laughs) yes so that must not have been pleasant and then the last thing I found was that Cliff Robertson who played Kahuna grew up in California and actually was a really good surfer and he is one of the few actors you can see who's clearly doing his own surfing in the movie. Oh, yeah. Because none of the rest of them are actually surfing. Green screen. I know. The whole time. That that also surprised me because, like, all of the actual surfing scenes were shot from so far away that I was like, they clearly just put some body double in a hat and that's supposed to be Kahuna. But apparently that was really him. That's funny. So that's all I have. But, um... Do you want to tell me a little more about James Darren? Yeah, speaking of James Darren um, and him being Italian. um, So James Darren is the stage name for James William Ercolani, who was born in Philadelphia, whoop whoop, in 1936. So he was born in June 1936. He is is still alive. So here with him, we have no, no stories of grim demise. He was discovered by talent agent Joyce Selznick, which, side note, Joyce Selznick is the niece of famous producer Other Selznick, um, whose name, <laughs> name, his first name, David Selznick, <laughs> the Other Selznick. At the time that he was discovered, he was studying in New York with acting teacher Stella Adler. He was quickly cast in the lead role in the movie Rumble on the Docks, which was made in 1956. And then that was followed swiftly by The Brothers Rico and Gunman's Walk. And then that sort of helped prepare him to be a teen idol. And so then, like you said, he was he was cast in 1959 in Gidget. And then he recorded that not only did he sing in it, but he sang the title song and, like, two other songs in it, sort of inexplicably. We can talk more about the singing. And then he went on from... Gidget to record a string of hits, um, including Goodbye Cruel World, which actually was a gold record and sold more than a million uh, copies, and the song Her Royal Majesty. He appeared on the Donna Reed Show in 1959 and 1961 playing teen idols, so he wasn't himself, but he was playing some other teen idol. And then in 1961, he appeared in the movie The Guns of Navarone, which was his attempt to break out of that typecasting as a teen idol, uh, which may or may not have worked. And then in 1963, he signed a seven-picture deal with Universal, starting with the lively set. And in the 1960s, he did some singing in some animated uh, series and the Flintstones and the show Hey There, It's Yogi Bear. And then, (laughs) which is just fun to say. And in the 1980s, he had a regular role as um, Officer James Corrigan on the television police drama T.J. Hooker. That was a role that moved him into action series, and he went on to direct a bunch of different action series like The Hunter, The A-Team, and Nowhere Man, and then he also 
um, directed some sh- some episodes in uh, Be- Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place because he is still alive. And then <laughs> fans of a slightly different color <laughs> might recognize him from the 90s when he sort of went through a, uh, a sort of renewal in popularity when he appeared as a singer in Star Trek Deep Space Nine. He played a holographic crooner an advice giver named Vic Fontaine. And what? Right? So yeah, so that was a thing. So he did action, he did beach movies, he did dramas, and he also did Star Trek. And so he, when he was doing Star Trek, he did a lot of singing in this character's role, and many of those performances on the show were re-recorded for an for his album that came out in 1999 called This One's From the Heart. So, not just a pretty face. Uh, you know, I saw some pictures of him from recent years, and he looks very much the same. Yeah. I mean, he's obviously, like, an older man, but he aged well and or had lots of plastic surgery. Either way, he yes. looks good. I mean, he's Italian from Philadelphia, so he's got good genes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he probably didn't didn't wrinkle. Yeah. All that that pasta, like, provided an anti-aging factor. That's how that works, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, so that was a, that was a nice bio. Um, and now I'm going to take us down with another child stars really upsetting life. No. So I, when I, we were picking who to bio, I feel like somewhere in the back of my mind, I remembered that Sandra D had had a bad life. But then I just ignored those warning bells and chose her anyway. I had never seen this movie before, and the only, like, cultural reference I had for Sandra D was the song from Greece that's called Look at Me, I'm Sandra D. So, that was my only reference. (laughs) She, so she was born Alexandra Zook on April 23rd, 1942 in New Jersey, the only what, child what? of John. I know. We've got all these local people. Yeah. She's the only child of John and Mary Zook, who met as teenagers at a Russian Orthodox church dance. And sure. they married shortly afterward, but divorced before Sandra was five years old. And she was of Carpatho Russian ancestry and raised in the Russian Orthodox faith. First sad thing is that after the divorce, her mother remarried and... She claimed that the her stepfather sexually abused her. Oh. And I don't think this came out at the time, but it came out later. And her son also wrote a book about her in which he addressed those issues. And it seemed well substantiated. Oh, it's terrible. Um, I know. And she began her career as a child model at the age of four, then worked in commercials before transitioning to film in her teenage years. She grew up fast and was surrounded mostly by adults. And, like, everyone was basically like, yeah, you can do whatever you want with your career. No one really tried to tell her to stay a kid or anything like that. During her modeling career, she attempted to lose weight to be as skinny as the high fashion models. And that was the beginning of a lifelong battle with anorexia. She ate in such a way that it ruined her skin, hair, and nails. And she eventually had to go under the treatment of a doctor who taught her how to eat again. Ugh. I know. She earned a lot of money as a, like, tween model. She was earning $75,000 in 1956, which would be 675000 today, which is a lot. 
Yeah. And uh, <laughs> that sounds pretty good. And she used the money to support herself and her mother after her stepfather died. And supposedly, she made a lot more as a model than she did as an actress after she went out to Hollywood. She moved to Hollywood in 1957, and her on-screen debut was in the MGM film Until They Sail. To promote the film, she appeared in a December issue of Modern Screen in a column that praised her and compared her looks and talent to Shirley Temple's. And that year, she won the Golden Globe for new star and she basically was from that point on marketed as an ingenue and that's the role she played in most of the films she appeared in Um, which later she said basically doomed her career because once she aged out of that there was like nowhere for her to go yeah mgm cast her as the female lead in the reluctant debutante and she provided the voice for the snow queen um and even though she was having a lot of success as an actress at this time she was still struggling with anorexia and she even had her kidneys temporarily shut down what (laughs) yes uh in 1958 she was signed with universal pictures and she was actually one of the company's last contract players before they got rid of that whole system of like keeping people on retainer Uh, Her star-making role was Imitation of Life in 1959 opposite Lana Turner, and that was like a huge box office success, Um, and Universal Pictures' highest-grossing film in history at the time. So that that was the point at which basically she was like a superstar and everyone knew who she was. Uh, Columbia Pictures borrowed her to play the title role in Gidget in 1959, which was a big hit and basically created that whole genre of, like, the beach party teenage movies. Uh-huh. And the same year, Warner Brothers barred her for another melodrama called A Summer Place opposite, opposite Troy Donahue. Oh, yeah, Troy that, Donahue. I forgot about him. She was paired with him a couple times. Um, and that movie was a big hit, and she was voted one of the most popular stars in the country. In the 1960s, she appeared in a number of popular films, including Portrait in Black, Romanoff and Juliet, and Tammy Tell Me True. And in 1961, she worked with Bobby Darin in his film debut in Come September. And they started a relationship and got married right after that film. Um, and then they appeared together as a couple in If a Man Answers in 1962 and That Funny Feeling in 1965. But by the late 60s, her career was in a decline. She and Bobby Dar- Darren were getting divorced and Universal Pictures dropped her. So basically after that point, she didn't act much at all. And her final years were marred by illness and she died in 2005 at age 62 from complications from kidney disease, which was from her lifelong struggle with anorexia. Ugh. So, there you have it. <laughs> it's a real upper. I know, and it, it's, it, it's like the classic child star story, mm-hmm. too, where, like, um, she's abused, like, she struggles with, with eating and body image, and she's supporting her whole family, uh-huh. and, like, everyone loves her when she's cute and young, but then when she's not, then nobody likes her anymore. And, yeah, oh, when just, she has the audacity to grow up. It's so tragic. Yeah. So Ugh. that's, 
that's Sandra D. And now, like, I think whenever I hear that Sandra D. song in Greece, I'm going to feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> so. If only Sandy knew what the what the actual implications of that song were. Maybe she wouldn't put on the she wouldn't have to put on the tight black pants. I know. Maybe she would have been like, "No, I'm gonna get away from all of this crap and be empowered." Yeah. <laughs> Hillary, I would like to point out that I have this is like the second backdoor musical that I've snuck into our roster. What was the first one? Uh, Please don't eat the daisies. Oh yes. Yeah. I mean, I have no complaints. And this is also, <laughs> like, a good, it's a good gateway into the next movies that we have planned. So it's, like, That's true. a gentle transition to some full-blown musicals. So I have to say, I really like the theme song. I mean, I like the music of it. But yes, I like the music of it, not the lyrics. The, like, the the lyric. this is a really excellent place to start talking about this movie. <laughs> um, the, my notes about the theme song are, this theme song, though, line face. <laughs> because of the... Because, yeah. Because of the reference of, you know, when she loves you, she loves you, and then when she says she doesn't love you, yeah, she probably also still loves you. It's like, well... Oh, Yeah. Trust women? That gave me pause as well. Yeah, believe women. (laughs) (laughs) I might, like, go out on a limb and just say that this is the most anti-feminist movie that I think we have watched. I don't know if I would go so far as to say that. I feel like at some point in this movie, I was, I, well, or, like, very early on in the movie, I was... I wouldn't say I was cringing, but I was afraid of what I had, like, agreed to get myself into. And then, like, (laughs) as the movie went on, I think mostly propelled by the characters of the parents, even though there was a lot of, like, gender problems, at least they were, like, they were good, like, supportive parents who they, you know, they wanted their daughter to be safe. And, you know, they wanted her to be taken care of, and they wanted her to be happy, and, and, like, that sort of balanced out the, like, the whole message of, like, women are happy when their men are happy. Uh, That message. Yeah, so, this is the thing with this movie that, okay, background for this movie. (laughs) I chose this one. This is a movie that I watched, like, a bunch of times when I was in high school, Mm-hmm. My best friend was really into it, and we used to watch it together. And like, like we made fun of it a lot, but there were like certain things about it that we also liked. Sure, I related to the fact that you know she's a teenage girl, and like all of her friends get into like all they care about is boys, and they don't want to do like the normal fun things anymore. And I related to that because I kind of felt that way when I was that age. And then the fact that she was, like, basically just wanted to hang out with the guys and be able to do what they were doing. Like, I related to that a lot, too, because I'm the only girl in my family. Like, I only have a brother and male cousins. We had, like, an all-boy neighborhood, and I kind of just wanted to hang out with them and, like, play touch football and do that kind of stuff. And when she got into the gang, I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. And, like, that she learned to surf and took the initiative. So that part, I think, is great. All of the sort of gender relationships and dynamics in this movie are terrible. (laughs) (laughs) They accept her partly because they label her as a tomboy. So to sort of say, like, oh, you're not a real girl, you're a tomboy, so you can hang out with us. 
you're this kid, so you can hang out with us. She di- she wasn't accepted for being just a girl, which is sort of disappointing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they basically had to make her into a child for her to be part of the gang because yeah. she couldn't be like a mature. She could not be a, like a woman and do it. Yeah. So I I I just feel like there's so much to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like another thing, a thing about her that you and I probably can both uh, identify with in her is that she's this, like, she's 17 and she's mature enough, like, intellectually that she's like, I just am ready to move on to the next thing. She's read every book in her house. And when she needs to, like, learn a new thing, she goes to books and she's, like, all up on, you know, her, like, schoolwork or whatever. I mean, she's a freaking nerd. <laughs> she's a nerd and a tomboy. Like, she is my people. Yeah. Um, I, I did totally relate to the fact that when she wanted to learn how to surf, she was like, and so I read a book. Because... She read a book. That is 100% something I would do. Yeah. She read a book and also, like, had some help from her friend who was me, like, at least presented slightly more tomboyish than she was. And, like, from a very modern lens, I would be like, oh, her lesbian best friend is helping her learn how to surf on her bed when she has tonsillitis. I have no idea how 1950s audiences would interpret her friend who has, like, the boyish haircut and the Yeah, boyish that was clothes. confusing to me all the way back to when I was in high school of, like, so at first I was like, who is this person? Because she's not part of the rest of the friend group. Yeah. And she's in the house a lot, but, like, at first I thought it was her sister. Right. But then I was like, no, this isn't her sister because she leaves at a certain point. Right. So, and they say that she's pinned so she doesn't have to worry about, like, finding a guy. Right. Because she's already got social capital. Right. So, like, I guess she... But then, like, yes, I read her also as lesbian. Right. And I was like, like okay, so... It's like, speaking yes. of... Speaking of, um, Please Don't Eat the Daisies, it's like the female vet that's in the countryside. And yes. <laughs> we like, it's like an underdeveloped character that I was like, can we please have a whole, like, subplot around this one person? Yes. Make more movies about these women... <laughs> What? I'm gonna just jump all over the place. Please, with this stuff. please do. I really hated how the whole movie they were like making fun of her for being flat chested. Yes. Like up until that, like at one point the guys are like, "Those aren't ears." And when you see her with her friends in the opening scenes, their friends look like they're like thirty. They're, yeah. Like, they look like pinup models, and she looks like an actual teenager. Yeah. Right, she looks like a 16-year-old. Yeah, I I liked how her swimsuits weren't sexy, also. Like, they were, like, they didn't even fit her well. No, they were, like, <laughs> or she didn't fit them well. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, one or the other. Yeah. Where else do you want to jump to? <laughs> okay, I could spend an ex- a st- extended period of time just talking about the dialogue. Yes. And how how ridiculous it is. Yeah. Okay, I wrote down a bunch of lines that uh-huh. are the lines my best friend and I used to laugh about and, like, yell down the halls at school. Um, hey, remember? Ball. <laughs> <laughs> this was the ultimate. This is the ultimate. Shut off that infernal racket. <laughs> what, at one point, Gidget says, it was creamy. I was like, it, was that 1950s slang? I don't know. Um, at one point, her mom says to her, darling, 
You do like boys, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) I know. How is the 1950s audience gonna, like, interpret that line? Like, I interpret that as, oh, is her mom asking her if she's gay? They, they are not interpreting that in the 1950s as that, right? I think not, but that is also how I interpreted it. Oh, um, also, I loved the scene when she goes to the shack with Kahuna, and that's, not, I didn't love that scene, but I love when she says in that scene, well, how about it? <laughs> like, as in, all right. We're going to have sex now? I'm like, oh, that is totally something I would say. <laughs> well, how about it? I I don't... Just the the dialogue and the delivery of the dialogue yes. is the most hilarious part of this movie. Although, I also felt like... I was like, oh, I guess this is how teenagers talk. Teenagers who are not really comfortable in their bodies. They're not really comfortable in the, like, what's happening. They're trying really hard to fit in. And they're trying not to, like, piss off the people that they want to, like, hang out with. And so they're just like, oh, tell me what the joke is. I want to be in on the joke. And, you know, I'll, I'll play along and I'll be a good sport. Just, like, let me know what the joke is. And I'll, you know, I'll laugh where you want me to. Like, it's so nerdy and dorky. And 1950s. <laughs> yeah. It was sad also that even the in the openings, there's just so much pretending. Like the scene with her friends where they're at the beach. Yeah. That they just kept being like, let's lay in these weird poses. And when they play ball, they yell at Gidget for catching the ball. Yeah. They're like, no, you have to pretend that you can't catch. Yeah. And... That is seriously stuff that still goes on. Yeah. Like, people are like, ah, I'm going to pretend I can't do this math problem so a boy will talk to me. Right. That's just sad. Speaking of mean girls. <laughs> exactly. I thought that the parents were kind of clueless, but I it did appreciate in the same way that you did that they were actual characters who were involved in her life. I thought it was so sweet that Saturday night met father-daughter duet. I know! <laughs> that was so sweet. <laughs> Which I don't think many teenagers would do in these days. No. When she's, like, gonna go off to the party, and so she's breaking the date with her dad, He's he, like, sort of takes it in stride, but then he's like, when is your date coming to get you? And she says, oh, he's not coming to get me. And he's like, no, wait, you can't go out with the guy who won't come to get you. Not, and I, like, the way that I interpreted, like, the rest of his reaction was not so much of a, like, like, anti-feminist way, although I'm sure probably in the 1950s it actually was a, you know, we have to protect our daughters. But the way that it was worded, I could interpret it as a, like, oh, he just wants his daughter, daughter to be safe and he thinks that she deserves the best and, you know, deserves to be treated nicely and fairly yeah. and, like, with respect, which would that every father want his daughter to, you know, to be treated with respect. That's nice. Yeah, and she, I mean, he doesn't know it, but she did really have to degrade herself to go to that party. Mm-hmm. She paid someone and she had to bring, like, a ton of food and beg just to let her come. Right. Well, she does say that in the kitchen as she's, like, getting, like, the food out of the the oven that she, yeah, that she had to pay this guy to take her. I don't particularly love the relationship between Gidget and Moondoggy. Like, I wasn't super rooting for them. No. But I do love in movies that 
basically what happened where like she was trying to make him jealous but then he like filled in the role and yes. it, like messed it up and they were like like I liked that I like that kind of dynamic yes um but that was about the only thing I liked about their relationship I thought he seemed super privileged and he was kind of a jerk to her about like 75% of the time yeah that he was like I'm above you because I'm older than you and you're just a kid and all the stuff with his father seemed like, super immature, and, like, I'm never gonna live up to my dad, so I'm just gonna drop out of school and be a beach bum, but I'm just gonna turn you into a father figure kahuna, and, like, look at me ripping up these checks. I was just like, for real, dude? Like, yeah, no, no. Although, (laughs) like, this... (laughs) Although it was a very, to me, it seemed very, like, realistically, like, that's how a 17-year-old boy would think, that he would be like, oh... You know, my dad was a self-made man, and in order for me to also be a self-made man, I have to, like, reject my father, and he just doesn't understand. Like, a more mature person would be like, yes, my father was a self-made self-made man, and there's no way that I can be a self-made man, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't take his money and, like, do some good with it <laughs> to, like, yeah, better I myself mean, so I can... Yeah, at the very least, yeah. like, if... If you're hanging out with a group of people and, like, there literally is not money for food... Yes. Like, maybe get food for people. Right. (laughs) Buy the food. Don't tell your dad that's what you're spending it on. Um, I have to make a confession, and it is that not only did in my teenage years I find Kahuna attractive, but I still find him attractive. (laughs) I mean... And it's it's not the character. It is... It's because he's Italian. It is that... It's, no, it's Kahuna. It's his uh, torso and his voice. Uh, I did not go for Moondoggy. I was, uh, like, 100% Kahuna, and I mean, I don't know why. Because he, okay, let's talk about Kahuna. Let's get to the bottom of this, Emily. So, okay. he he's, like, twice the age, right? They say this a couple of times, that he's twice, twice Gidget's age, right? And at some point, yeah. he, like, realizes that, Gidget is trying, like, Gidget tries to get him to take her to to the shack, and so he, like, lets her drive him to the shack, and then, you know, he says, you know, she says, I'm gonna come in with you because I, you know, I need to, like, save face or whatever. He's like, okay, but he's clearly not into it, and, and then he sort of, my viewing of him, like, sort of going through with it was basically to be a to make her realize how ridiculous it was. And he was like, okay, if yeah. you want to do this, then we're going to do it. But, like, at no point was he ever going to, like, actually have sex with her because he didn't want to have sex with her and because she was 17. And yeah, and also he could have at any point done whatever he wanted with her because whenever she was in his shack because, you know, here he had this girl in his shack and instead he was just sort of like not quite fatherly, but like, you know, like older brothery where he like looked out for her and was like, you know, you can be part of the gang because because you're nice and you're cute and you're but not in a like lecherous way cute in a like you're a kid cute. You know, we need this inspiration of a kid kind of thing. You know, so I appreciated that he actually was, like, not a creep in any way. Yeah, that is also how I read that scene, that he was basically trying to, like, show her that that wasn't really what she wanted by, like, pretending to go through with it. Mm -hmm. And she was so clearly horrified by the whole thing, so it worked. Yeah. Good job, Kahuna. um, Good job, Kahuna. And 
I definitely glossed over this when I watched this when I was younger, but he was a Korean War vet, so he, like, probably saw some pretty bad stuff. Yeah, he was probably traumatized. <laughs> and, like, and a pilot, too, in the Korean War. Like, my granddad was in the Korean War, and he never talked about it, yeah. ever, because it was so horrible, and he, like, just buried it, and... I felt like I was kind of sympathetic to the fact that he was, like, trying to drop out of the grind Mm -hmm. after having been through something like that. Yeah, he had a really good reason. (laughs) I mean, this was, this is all subtext. None of this is explicit. They, like, barely mentioned that he was in Korea. But, but it made me, like, more sympathetic to his character. And I liked that he was nice to Gidget and welcoming to her, basically, from the beginning, unlike Mm -hmm. the other guys. Right. Well, and then his word had a lot to do with how they ended up accepting her because he was in charge. Because he's the big kahuna. Yes. Which, I love that kahuna means big chief, and they call him big kahuna, so it's just like big, big chief. I know. (laughs) I I wrote down, kahuna is hot in those jeans and dog tags. Yes. (laughs) He is. He's a good-looking man. I kind of appreciated how, for that time period, even, even with the sort of, like, exploitation of those actors' bodies and stuff. Like, they sort of had more reasonable body types. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, compared to today, when it's... The people are just ridiculous. The people just look so unbelievably ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And, like, this was, like... I could reasonably believe that someone who, like, surfs a lot and doesn't go to the gym would look like this. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, it was reasonable. It was... Can we talk about the orgy? Um, (laughs) yes. I think we ought to. I don't know what to say about the orgy, though. (laughs) I think it's so hilarious that they called it an orgy, but it was basically just a bunch of people doing, like, handstands and snapping their fingers to the four preps. Yes. Um, yeah, and, like, cuddling on beach blankets. That's not an orgy. They were, like... This is going to be an orgy, and then cut to a scene where four buttoned-up guys with, like, guitars are singing, like, in harmony. I know. (laughs) I know. That's, like, this is, like, the Beach Boys meet, like, a church choir, and... (laughs) (laughs) so great. Oh. That's not what an orgy Um, means today, Emily. Yes. I mean, it would be more like Eyes Wide Shut kind of stuff. Yeah. So, there was sort of some, like, sexual harassment type things going on with Loverboy. Uh-huh. And then there, like, was, there was a strain of, like, a lot of the interaction with Moondoggy, where he's sort of indicating that he does like Gidget. Yeah. Is basically him trying to, like, protect her from the other guys and, like, guard her virginity. Right. And I was like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, how did you like when uh, Loverboy was trying to teach her how to surf and that meant, like, putting her on a board and then getting on behind her and sticking his chin on her butt? Like, Yeah, I, di- I didn't like that. <laughs> I was not a fan of that. <laughs> I was like, how, is this, is this the ordained way that you teach someone how to surf? I don't think so, but when uh, uh, Moon Doggy rescued her from the the kelp, the treacherous kelp, oh, right. or whatever, they they never really explain like the various times she gets hurt. I'm like, what actually happened? But when he rescues her the first time, 
he's basically in the same position. He's right. like on the board with her and his head's like right on her butt. And I was like, does your head have to be right on her butt? Right. Maybe does it have not. to be right there? Yeah. I mean, I know it's a small board, but does it have to be right there? Yeah, and then when Loverboy is teaching her how to surf and he's basically, like, got his hands on her breasts and, like, it's holding her up. Great. Yeah. It's great. No, it's not. It's not great. (laughs) (laughs) And then the same thing when Moondoggy goes to the shack. It's because he thinks something's happening between Kahuna and Gidget. Oh, right. Right. I don't know. I feel like he kind of showed him to be, like, a little bit more bourgeois than he was pretending to be. Because, Mm -hmm. like, most of the guys would kind of be like, look, whatever, live and let live. Like, people make their own choices. But he was very much like, no, Gidget shall remain a virgin. Right. (laughs) And this is, and I will enforce that. Right. It is my job to enforce her virginity. Yeah. And, um, I liked how she called it the step and then said to her mother, like, Am I never going to take the step? And her mom was just like looking at her baffled. <laughs> like, like you are you, you are just barely 17 years old? Yeah, and this is the 1950s. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. 1959 though. The 60s are just around the corner. Yeah. Well, yeah. if she had waited a couple years, it would have been a real orgy. It would have been a real orgy. <laughs> and those musicians wouldn't have any clothes on. Correct. Um, I, I feel like we have to talk about the needlepoint sampler. Yes, please, can we talk about the needlepoint sampler? Because that seemed to be the central message of the, of the movie. Yeah, I mean, the happy resolution of the movie was that she ended up pinned and in a relationship. Right. And she had helped the two men in her life to get their lives back on track. So none of that had, like, basically it was going back to the old storylines of women's role is to be a positive influence on men and help them to be good people and achieve. Um, To quote the needlepoint, to be a real woman is to bring out the best in a man. (laughs) I wrote down garbage passed down through generations. (laughs) Also true. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, ultimately, she's just upholding that instead of, like, being her own person. Yeah, I mean, maybe the resolution could have been, like, she learns, like, some cool surf trick, or she, like, enters a competition, and, like, something to actually do with her. Right. Instead of about Um, the men. I also thought it was really sad that at different points in the movie, she talks about how... She, like, wasted her time getting good grades and, like, learning to play the cello when she should have been learning how to attract men. Yeah, it's like she doesn't understand her own worth. It It's turned so suddenly. And, like, of course the guy that she's attracted to is the one who is the least interested in her and treats her badly. Right. And uh, it just made me really sad. It was, like, reinforcing a lot of things that you see in life. Yeah. Of, like, some bright young girl feeling like she has to like shine less brightly and being attracted to the guy who like negs her and so not 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 great not very like for a movie that is about a girl learning to surf in the 1950s which should kind of be empowering 
this I just felt like this was not a very empowering movie for her as a character. Yeah, it was like they had to compensate for the fact that she was going to be on a surfboard by saying, like, oh, it's okay, 1950s audience. She's going to get the man at the end. It's going to be fine. Yeah, and it would have been so much... I would have preferred this movie so much more if it was basically just her hanging out with that group of dudes. Yeah. Like, you know, getting to be part of the surf gang and increasing her skills. Yeah. Let's make the 2019 version of this movie. (laughs) Yes. I think we could... Well, I mean, I guess the updated version would be, like, Blue Crush, where... I was gonna say, haven't they already made this movie? Yes. Uh, This is all... It's actually on my bucket list as something I want to do, to learn to surf. Oh, really? And I wonder if it's because of this movie, because there's really no other reason that (laughs) it should be on my list. Would you go to California and learn to surf, like, Gidget? I don't know. I mean, there are good waves, even, like, in Cape May in New Jersey. Ew. Then you could really be a Jersey Shore girl. Yes. And, uh, well, the other thing that I think appealed to me about this movie is I love the idea of actually getting to spend your summer at the beach. Because, like, I've never actually lived close enough that I could just, like, go to the beach on a daily basis if I wanted to. And when I was a teenager, I thought that that would be, like, to quote Gidget, the ultimate. The ultimate. Like, to be able to go down, (laughs) you know, and actually, because I love the water and... I felt like this must be what all the teenagers are doing. Like, they're just spending their summers at the beach. And, like, meanwhile, I was, like, working crappy, like, jobs in food service right. and stuff like that. You were serving the water ice to those who were going to the beach. Yeah. Yes. To the weird evangelical church around the corner. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have the same, like, ring to it. No. Um, um, I do, I would love to live in Kahuna's shack. Oh, that seems like a really great, uh, great place to live for the summer. Yeah, it was really nice. I mean, he had a little, like, hot plate set up. He had a nice little cot. Seemed comfortable. Seemed airtight. Yeah. I mean, I would totally... I would live there. I would live there for a summer. I... This time when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, no way would beach laws allow for someone to set up a shack. I mean, no. At least none of the beaches that I know. <laughs> Could you do this? <laughs> no. So I guess it's like a hard life for beach bums now. Yeah. You can't actually set up shop on the beach. Oh, beautiful girl. What a gorgeous creature, beautiful girl. Let me call a preacher. What can I do but give my heart to you? Do you want to discuss the costumes? I would love to co- discuss the costumes, starting with the number of swimming suits that she has. Yeah, she did have, like, six swimsuits. Yes. I started, I think, hold on, I counted. I think there are five. She has two different red ones. She has a pink one that's flowery. She has a yellow one that's actually was super cute and I wanted and then she has a black and white one. And I think at one, two, three, four, five. At five, I stopped counting. So I don't remember if there were more than that or if if I just was flabbergasted by the fact that she had five bathing suits. She did. Her family seemed pretty well to do. But, like, that's still a lot. Yeah. Although I guess uh, if you live uh, at the beach, basically, you might have five bathing suits. I kind of liked how, for that time, like, she, the, some of the bathing suits were, like, really covered up, and it made me feel a little bit better about her being around all these, like, mm-hmm. much older guys and yeah. stuff. I was like, this is less creepy because your bathing suit is, like, 
from mid-thigh. <laughs> right. Right. It's covering more of you. Uh, her friends looked, like, much more va-va-voom in their suits. Yeah, they're, like, and tight, like, hip-hugging, like, bikinis that they were wearing. Yeah. And, and some of them had the high-waisted bikinis, which are very much in vogue again. Totally. You can be hip like, um, like Gidget's friends now. Yes, exactly. I think that's what everyone's thinking when they buy them. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure that's what you're thinking. She had a um, she had a really cute blue cover up at the beginning that was kind of it had it gave the the impression of being like a poncho, but it wasn't actually a poncho. It was just like a like an oversized shirt that she was wearing that I'm sure has an actual costumey fast fashion name, but it was you know, it looked like it was woven and it was blue and white and it was the kind of thing that I was like, Yes, I would like to wear that except for instead of wearing it to the beach, I would like to wear it to work. <sighs> she had a couple of nice cover ups yeah. that they showed. And I also really liked her dress that she wore to the Luau. Oh yeah. So cute. Um I love those like fit and flare type mm-hmm. dresses and she just looked really cute with her hair styled and everything yes as far as the guy style i mean they're basically oh i i did i liked how this i mean it was just the style of the time but the men's swimsuits were shorter and that's also coming back into style yeah. but like for a while it was those like super oversized ones mm-hmm. and now it's much more like mid-thigh yeah a pair of shorts that actually fits you Yes, so I liked that. I also liked Kahuna's, like, worn-out straw hat. I, thought I know! I love that he wore it into the ocean. <laughs> yeah, he wore it in the ocean, and he was smoking a cigar while he was surfing. Yeah. How can we all be that cool? I don't know. I don't think I'll ever get there. <laughs> no amount of work <laughs> get me there. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Well, what about a social justice message? Did you think there was one? I mean, I think if you paid attention to the conversation between Moondoggy and Kahuna and their, like, their conversation about what it means to be self-made and, like, striking out on your own and being a beach bum and what all that means, there I don't know if it technically counts as social justice or if it's just sort of a meditation on like our economic system and the expectations we have for people that you know involve you know working you know for a majority of the day in order to get ahead and have goals and you know they didn't they keep saying you know like kahuna doesn't have any goals <laughs> like yeah I mean, it turned out he went back to being a pilot you know there see i kind of felt like i'm sorry i kind of oh no go ahead you. go ahead i didn't feel like the problem was so much that he didn't want to participate in like a normal job because like him being a beach bum i was like i'm okay with this like not everyone is meant with for the work system mm-hmm. he doesn't seem like he, he like he's kind of just getting by yeah on a little bit and he has sort of like a meditative life totally that's fine but the part that I thought was more of a problem was how he was like, I refuse to get attached to anyone. Yeah. Because, like, I just move on. And so he cleared, like, it was like he had emotional issues. I mean, he probably had so. post-traumatic st- stress disorder from, from you know, being in the war. Yeah, and, and losing people. Yeah. And or having to kill people. Yeah. 
He's, you know, a veteran who probably isn't getting the, like, met- mental and emotional support that he needs. Yeah, in a way, it kind of annoyed me that Gidget's solution, or what she kept bringing up, was the fact that it's like, you need to have goals. And I was like, life isn't just about having goals and achieving them. Like, that's, that's, if you get too caught up with just goals, you're just going to be on the hamster wheel. Like, you need right. to be looking for personal fulfillment and peace. <laughs> like, and maybe Kahuna... Has, is on to something with, like, living in nature and not caring as much about money. Totally. That's the Jesuit in you that's speaking, and I totally <laughs> and 100% agree with it. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I think most people would probably be like, um, you are a derelict and you're not participating right. in society. You're not paying taxes, so there's something wrong with you. So that's just me defending Kahuna. <laughs> You're here. In a way, there there was some. I thought it, there was a little bit of social justice mm-hmm. yes, stuff, and just in the fact that like they do talk about money and like participating in the workforce, and also like Gidget kind of recognizes that Kahuna is troubled in some way, and like tries to talk to him about it. Yeah, I mean that's not a very strong social justice, and like you know, again, the gender stuff is terrible. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot of sexism in this movie. Yes, a lot. I mean, it. we've said this in previous episodes, but it still sometimes shocks me how the later movies often mm-hmm. have more sexism than the earlier movies that we watch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or, like, a more, more blatant kind of sexism. I've been living my own life, making my own decisions for a long while now. It's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again. That said, do you think this passes the Bechtel test? Oh, yeah, sure, totally. (laughs) No, absolutely Um, not. I do not think it does. (laughs) No, 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 no. This is, like, the least Bechtel-y movie ever. Especially because the theme is basically, like, your life should be supporting a man. Right. And even when you say that you, even when you don't say that you love a person, you probably actually do love them. That's the theme yeah. song. That's just you being fickle and coy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is fine, because it's all about serving the man. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so that's... Yeah, not, not Bechtel-y. No. Nope. So, what rating would you give this movie, Hillary? I mean, so, I... I... Felt lukewarm about this movie and up until the very end, when... You know, they're at the shack, and the police come, and the police, you know, let Moondoggy go, and they refer to him as Mr. Matthews, which is, like, the first hint, like, of a, oh, not so much a mistaken identity, but a, maybe this will work out okay, because this whole time in this movie, Francie's dad keeps saying, why don't you just go on the state with this you know, this colleague's son of mine who's here for the summer. And she keeps pushing it off and pushing it off or whatever. And so there's this, after she's had this, her heart broken and she feels like, you know, nothing, her summer has been wasted. Her father finally convinces her that she should go on a date with, you know, the Matthews boy. And of course, at that moment in the shack, we're like, wait a second. The Matthews boy is a moon doggy. <laughs> and this whole movie could have been avoided if she just went on the date. But it was 
you know, I tend to like movies <clears throat> and stories like that that have sort of a, a thing that gets dropped in the beginning that gets picked up at the end that sort of ties it, ties everything together with a nice, like, uh, like sort of a surprise bow. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, you are astute for picking up on that because I think I saw this movie like four or five times before I even noticed that <laughs> they say that. I mean... It helped that the first time I watched this, I was in my 30s and not 16. (laughs) So, like, I would probably give it a three... No, two and a half. Two and a half. Yeah, I was going to say, that's that's hot. Two and a half. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Um, It's hard for me. So, like, I actually was talking with my friend about... My friend who introduced me to this movie. I was like, I'm rewatching this for the podcast. It's hard to know how to interpret it now as an adult because, like objectively this is a bad movie (laughs) yeah the dialogue is is not very good like a lot of the acting is not very good like maybe a quarter of the movie is just like surfing scenes right with like which who the hell cares yeah it was a lot more slow moving than i remembered yeah but on the other hand i still find it to be hilarious in a ridiculous way, just, like, a bunch of the weird dialogue and, like, really outdated stuff that happens, like, I can laugh at. So it's, like, one of those movies I like to watch to make fun of, and it also totally took me back to being in high school Mm -hmm. and, like, when I used to watch it. But since it's not a good movie, and, like, because it's so slow, I would probably only give it a two. Okay. Because... You know, it's just, it's really not that good. And I actually thought after watching it this time, I was like, I don't know if I'll ever rewatch this again. I think I've reached peak Gidget. (laughs) I think I'm done. You've had enough. I think I'm done with it. Yes. Well, there are hundreds and thousands of other movies to watch. So. Yeah. I kind of felt bad that I made you watch it. Like, within the first 15 minutes when there were, like, lots of offensive things happening and then, like, long surfing scenes, I was like... (laughs) Why did I make Hillary watch this movie? I mean, you made me watch An American in Paris, so... <laughs> but that movie is so much better than this movie. I, is it? I'm going to have to go back and and look at what rating I gave An American in Paris, because if I ever have to watch that movie again, <laughs> it'll, it'll yeah. be too soon. <laughs> I feel like a Gene Kelly movie with an extended dance scene gets a minimum of two and a half. I mean... It's not the dancing that's the bad thing about an American in Paris. No, it's it's not. It's just literally everything else about the movie. (laughs) What's our next movie that we're doing? Our next movie is Court Jester, which is new to me. Yes, so I'm making you watch this this time. I can't complain if it is something arduous. That's right. It's our very first Danny Kaye movie. Yay! I love Danny Kaye from other things, so I think I'll like it. Yay! May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day.